calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of IGN Unfiltered. I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This is our monthly interview show where we sit down with the very best, brightest, and most notable people in the video game industry. Uh, This month, I am very, very pleased to be joined by Sean Murray, the mastermind, the programmer behind No Man's Sky, one of the single most anticipated games of 2016. It's great to see you, Sean. Yeah, thank you. That's a good intro. I like mastermind. You like that? It's fitting. I mean, you, you know, you've, you've been the public face of this game, and, and it's funny. You, on that exact note, I'm curious, because this whole game, it is a multi-quintillion planet universe <laughs> that's all generated. It's obvious you can't do that by hand. You'd die first. Right. So it's, it's all, the game's built on algorithms you've talked about in the past. So my first question to you, and this is a genuine question... <laughs> Do you consider yourself a genius? <laughs> oh, God. I'm, I'm being uh, serious. You're yes, laughing. Yes, obviously. Uh, <laughs> no, come on. I mean, no, no, no. Like, I think um, uh, no one's ever pulled this off before. Yeah. Do you consider yourself a genius? <laughs> well, the game isn't out yet, so you know, talk to me after that. Um, the uh, no, I think I would say that um, the team. Like the team at Hello Games, uh, and there are twelve of you. Yeah, which is the which is incredibly tiny by current standards. Yes, yeah. I mean, even for an indie team, it's small, yeah. right? Like um, that's the thing that people don't realize is that, like, you know, um, like a lot of indie games will have teams of that size, kind of thing. Um, but uh, the team that I work with, I think, are super talented. Like, and I would, yeah, I would say they're some of the best people that I've ever worked with. Um, they're incredible. And, yeah, I think they're doing, like, the best, uh, like, genuinely the best work that they've ever done, you know. Uh, I think on No Man's Sky, like, I, I personally see it as some of the best work that I've ever done um, in my, like... Uh, time working on games kind of thing and I've worked on a bunch of games in the past um, yeah, we'll talk about but, those <laughs> but uh, definitely not genius I think I think we're doing some clever stuff but uh, like I just spend my entire time looking at other games in fact trying to finish Namaskar at the moment I find that I can't 
look at other games because I just feel like inferior and I just I look at anything else I boot up and they have some effect that we don't have or they have some mechanic that we don't have and I'm like oh god I can't can't put myself through this kind of thing well don't feature creep don't <laughs> we're coming out in June right yeah, that's yeah. okay so uh, as the game nears the finish line now right. uh, you're in the home stretch as we sit here and record this is, is the game everything that you conceived of in your head several years ago when you first started making this in secret from the rest of your team? I think um, that's a good question. Like, um, I'm just thinking about that. So, in some ways, it's a lot more. You know, like, we had an idea, yeah. and like most times when you have, like, a game idea... They're not, it's never how you expect it when it comes out, right? It just changes and morphs as it goes along. Um, no Man's Sky is a lot closer to the original vision than I would have expected, right? Uh, and I think part of that is just because people have been so excited by it and yeah. interested in it that you kind of feel like this confirmation, like, yeah, this is this is what we need to do kind of thing. Um, so it's, I don't know that there's a good way to say this. It's very close to the original vision, but then I never would have expected a game to stick as closely to it as that, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's almost like more than what I would have expected, you know. So I'm curious if, uh, you know, so you, okay, you don't consider yourself a genius. You just left <laughs> your team, but... Because um, I've spoken to you enough over over the course of this development, where I can, your brain operates in a way that I can't even fathom. <laughs> but so I'm just have, I'm just wondering, have you ever met John Carmack, and have you showed him the game? Because he's a guy I've interviewed him. He uh, he's another one I can I consider him a genius. I mean, I'm right. not Mensa. I don't get to certify people. Yeah. But uh, his same thing, where he just operates on a level that I I can't fathom. So yeah. do you have any uh, kinship uh, with him? No kinship. I, uh, uh, I would say that it and Carmack, like, that's one of the reasons that I got into games. Like, my, I could think of two games, um, and I wish I had better kind of favorite games, all-time favorite games, right? I wish I had kind of niche titles that no one's ever heard of or something like that, um, but I have the most popular titles. So, like, Mario 64 sure. and Quake, right? Um, and they... They came out at a time kind of when I was a teenager yeah. um, or just just on that kind of boundary. Um, and they really, like, they made me not just enjoy playing games but think, what, how does a game even get made? Yeah. Like, I played Mario 64, played Quake, and I just thought they were so perfect, right? Like, so balanced, so designed that you couldn't play them and not think... How does this get made? How, what process is involved here? I right. don't understand, especially because there were such leaps forward. It was like, this is the first 3D platformer. Yeah. Or this is the first proper first-person shooter. And in a 3D yet, world. In certainly. a 3D yeah. world, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like in a fully realized, obviously, yeah. like Doom and stuff like that. Um, and then Quake in particular, I just started reading up everything I could find out about like id and how they worked and stuff like that and and i had um i think when you play 
Mario, you don't really necessarily get a sense of the team that made it, but when you played Quake, you really did. So you got a sense that, like, uh, I'd read these names like Romero and Carmack and stuff like that, and I thought, like, you know, I thought Carmack is probably, like, super intense and clever and stuff like that and then the more I read about him he was you know and I thought like the kind of levels that they're building and stuff like that I pictured Romero with like long hair and being into metal and stuff like that and he was you know <laughs> uh, and you got a real sense of that like you could play the game and just the little touches they had put in and the music and stuff like that um, so yeah they were like like they are uh, id in particular were like massive aspirational figures Carmack yeah, incredible. Like he is, he he does definitely operate on a whole other level. Well, you I've never, you haven't met him. I've yet. never met him or anything. No, no. And I don't know. I would just fall to pieces. I think if I did, yeah. I did when I interviewed him. I, I know the feeling. <laughs> uh, so let's go back to your childhood. Let's right. let's go back in time here. Let's figure out how you got to this point where you're okay. making this multi-quintillion space exploration <laughs> okay. game. You wrote your first game at age six. It was a right. text adventure. Uh, what was it called? Uh, oh, God, I don't even remember. It probably didn't have a name. So uh, I had an Amstrad at the time, which is a computer that you guys in the States wouldn't have. It was like a Commodore 64, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it was, yeah, it was like green screen and terrible keyboard and stuff like that and tape. Um, and, yeah, I had such... My brother, I've got a brother who's like six years older than me, um, and he was really, he was just starting to get into programming and stuff like that. And so I just wanted to do everything that he did, kind of thing. Um, are, are, so, they, uh, are they like super jealous of you now that you're this incredibly <laughs> brilliant <laughs> programmer? I have like, uh, I have four, uh, four brothers and sisters, and they're all. They're all, they all do far more important things. Uh, they all do, like, they're all doctors of some sort kind of thing. Um, and, or do something to, like, help the world and, you know, yeah. So around the Christmas things table, like you're like, so, Sean, what have you been doing? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm the, a game about space. <laughs> yeah, I'm the black sheep who was always <laughs> playing video games. And, uh, yeah, not, uh, it's not a proper job, right? Um, so, it is to us. Right, yeah. yeah. This is the one place IGN I can be accepted. The uh, yes, yeah, so I, I don't I remember got the it. name of it. You don't remember no, the I don't. Text but it was. All, I mean, I made happen. so many. Like I made so many, and it was all just, just such. Like it was literally basic programming, um, but it was such basic stuff where, like you know, it would be incredibly embarrassing. But it would be the kind of thing where it would be like, um, you know, you're in a forest. Uh, there's an opening to the uh, like to the east, or there are some caves to the north, or Walk whatever. Walk to the caves, and you would type in like you know caves or whatever, right? And then. I had such poor grasp of like game design that it would just be like you walk to the games, you died. You know that, <laughs> kind of thing. that was basically uh, that was my game at like six years old. But uh, like it is interesting. At six, that's right? amazing. <laughs> no, it's not. But you in with Tonga trucks at age six. Uh, but it's really like simple stuff. Uh, but it's funny because I, it got to the point where I could like let other people play. Um, and yeah, you just quickly learn how 
stuff like that doesn't work, whereas right. it does in your head, right? Um, you know, and so I made little things that were more advanced. But I, I think actually I made, like, I would just make so many unfinished things, like, constantly. Like, I was constantly, uh, that's the thing that my, my brother would always say to me, that I was, like, 50% playing games, 50% making broken stuff, basically. <laughs> Do you still have any of those old experiments? Uh, I, have, uh, I have some stuff. I used to do demos on the Amiga. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you know, but like, this is like a demo scene where you would just try and make technical things, basically. So you'd try and make, like, at the time it was a big deal to have, like, a spinning wireframe or something right. like that, or a 3D model, or, um, yeah, I would have, like, this terrible uh like polygonal heads that would like talk and stuff like that um and thankfully like none of them are on like the internet or youtube (laughs) or anything uh so like there was there were at the time uh i was more just in love with the the scene so there's like a demo scene and you would go on and there's people who are far better than me um doing stuff and so i would just be part of that I would be like whatever on forums and asking questions and stuff like that uh, yeah and n- yeah luckily none of them existed they would have had music that was written by me on there as well so we I, need a let's play of that I immediately. never I would I yeah if I if any of them do still exist and I find them then they will be immediately destroyed <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so was it was it at age six when you started messing around that you with games that you knew you wanted to make them for a living, or was it not until the Super Mario sixty fours or the Quakes, or was it so, even sometime after? What was the point where you said, "I want to do this"? So my my parents tell me that I was always saying that I wanted to work in video games. I don't feel like I knew that until like later on, and I would actually say like even. Um, Later on in life, when I was in like university and stuff like that, I thought, um, I kind of thought games, people who worked in games were like way, you know, it's like, I couldn't possibly do that, right? Like that's for, that's for the John Carmack's of the world or whatever. Like I wanted, I loved games, I loved reading about them and stuff like that. I actually, um, I was in like my final year of uni and that, to me, I was super interested in games. I would, yeah, it was just all I was doing, spend all my time reading about it, making stuff and things like that. But I still felt at that stage I hadn't thought it was a possibility. Does that make any yeah. sense to you? Yeah, you didn't have that sort of belief in yourself, maybe? Well, I just thought, how do you even... Uh, this is the embarrassing thing. I thought it would be like you would make something and then somebody would notice it, you know what I mean? Right. They would reach out and they would be like, you'd get this email from like John Carmack or <laughs> therefore like Peter Molyneux, you know, have you thought of making games? And you're like, yes, it's happened, <laughs> you know? I like didn't you, think it offered, was like a... You've, you've made an offer yeah, at yeah, the altar yeah, yeah, yeah. of, of game people, design. Kind of like how, you know, people get like scouted for being models or yeah, something like or, that. Or, <laughs> somebody would see you on the street, you know, <laughs> be like, hey. Uh, so... The, it, I actually remember um, there was uh, so I was living in Ireland um, and there's a magazine that we have Edge magazine sure. in Europe 
um, and that's a mixture of kind of specialist and like trade magazine. So that used to have ads in it for looking for like programmers or whatever, because a lot of people in the industry read it. Um, and I'd never seen the magazine before, and I remember just being in a newsagent's and kind of leafing through it and suddenly seeing that they were like advert, adverts for like, you know, and lots of them were for people, you know, are you a programmer? Do you have these skills? Do you want to, it's like, I could actually apply for a job kind of thing. You know, that was, it. Uh, yeah, I'm obviously not that clever um, because I hadn't figured out that it was just a normal job and you could go and apply for it. So had, uh, in, in school, were you, were you a, an athlete? Were you, were you in, into computers all the time? Were you, you know, because were, were you like me, kind of just off in the nerd crowd and, yeah. and mocked or bullied for playing games? <laughs> yeah. I and think then are you laughing at all those people now? The, no. Uh, the, thing, the thing that I, um, like, realized is that my whole life, I think, you, I think people who grew up in a certain generation, like um, like me, you spent your whole time being embarrassed of playing games. Yeah, like it was a a thing that you uh, you would hide the fact that you were reading gaming magazines, or you would have, uh, and it was tied in with like tabletop gaming, probably, right. or you know, interested in all the kind of the dark arts of like nerd. Stuff, yeah. Right. I know what you uh, mean. <laughs> uh, like tech or electronics, whatever. That was all like super nerdy. And you would just kind of, you would know that you should be embarrassed of that. Like I actually think uh, we carry loads of that baggage with us, if you know what I mean, as like, as in the gaming industry does. We always feel a little bit apologetic hmm. for like playing games and making games and stuff like that, even though they've become so like, you part of everyday yeah. life, right? Um, so yeah, I was definitely that. Like you have, you have your couple of friends who you know you can talk to games about, and then you can't talk about it with anyone else. You know that kind of thing. Um, and I was definitely not sporty or anything. Um, I was, uh, I, I was uh, uh, like a bit of a. Um, I think I was. Secondary school and stuff like that, I was probably a little bit uh, uh, that mixture of being a bit bored at school and probably massively awkward. And uh, yeah, used to get into lots of trouble and stuff like that. Um, but uh, that was that was about that was about as as kind of interesting as I got. <laughs> so uh, you had the Amiga in the house. Yeah. Was were you drawn to the Amiga at the time, uh, or was that just sort of what was in the house that you... you oh, no, I was... Um, so, I think my brother got the Amstrad, and then I just spent all my time on it, kind of thing. Um, and then I, like, from then on, that was all I ever wanted was, like, the next... Yeah. Uh, like, the, the greatest thing, uh, you know, fondest memories, if you've ever had, like, a console Christmas... You know, when you're a kid and you yes. get a con- it's like, you know, it's the best feeling. It These is. are the fondest memories kind of thing. Uh, so for me, I can remember, you know, getting consoles, sure, but the thing I would be like, so snares or whatever, but the thing I would have been really excited about is like Amiga, 
Mega 500, Mega 1200, uh, you know, RAM upgrades, stupid things like that, right? Uh, the, you used to be able to get, you don't even want to get started, like you'd get like, whatever, four megabyte hard drives, yeah. things like that, right? Um, and then, uh, like in terms of what you could do, the Amiga was kind of always known as that. It was a, a machine that could play games, but really you could do quite a lot with it. It was yeah. like a mini PC. Um, and then I moved on to PC. Uh, and that was a, that's a massive leap. Suddenly you have a proper machine that you can actually make something with kind of thing. So uh, let's skip forward past the university. What, right. At what point do you get your first paying job? You know, you've been looking through Edge. Right. You've seen this. Oh, there, you, can, you can do this. Where does the first paying job come in? Yeah, I, um, so I worked, I was in university and I did like computer science because um, I was just, programming was my thing. Um, and uh, it, yeah, the, uh, mainly what I was doing was just programming for myself, mm-hmm. programming my spare time um, and making little projects and stuff. And uh, then I actually left uni, my first paying job was like what you would normally do after computer science. And I was working as like IT, I was working yeah. as like IT consultant. And I, like, it wasn't for me, right? Um, working at a big company with lots of people that you have nothing in common with right. kind of thing. It, it was actually that similar thing of like, I would have to feel embarrassed about the fact that I was, you know, really into computers yeah. and really not <laughs> get excited about stuff. Um, and so I was like, constantly thinking, right, I, I would love to work in video games um, and actually kind of uh, started applying and went to the UK and, and did a bunch of interviews and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I hadn't realized that all the stuff that I'd done had made me reasonably like qualified and stuff like that. Um, and so I got a bunch of like uh, job offers and stuff. Um, and the biggest thing for me, like, going into these places was suddenly seeing, like, this is a place where everyone's like me, yeah. you know? Um, like, everyone's... That's the big difference in working in games, where you're like, I can walk into work in the morning and With your say, head held high. Yeah, well, well, you can say, like, who wants to... You know, who wants to see, who's interested in seeing the new Star Wars film? And it's like, yeah. everyone is, obviously, because that's what you do, you know. Uh, or who's excited about this game that's coming out or whatever, you know. Um, so, yeah, my first job was with Criterion, um, who were the folks that did, like, all the Burnout games and a bunch of Need for Speed yeah. and Black and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, that's was so that was my favorite thing when I was researching you for this for this uh, interview. Yeah, I know you a little yeah. bit, but I wanted to see yeah, like, yeah. all right, what am I missing? And turns out you were the technical lead on what I personally what is what is my favorite racing game of all time? And that is Burnout Three. How how does that how, so you end up you just you start there and then you end up before so, uh, which, uh, which burnout did you start with? So I um when I joined Criterion um, I uh, I did loads of different things on Burnout Three. Um, I I didn't, I was technical leader Criterion, but uh, not on Burnout Three. But I'll tell you, I'll explain anyway. But <laughs> I started uh, uh, a 
Criterion when it was really small. Like, that's a thing that people didn't realize, I don't think. I actually went to, uh, I interviewed at Rare, right? Oh, wow. uh, and Rare was a big deal at the time. Oh, yeah. And Rare was like the, the, yeah, they were at the top of their game at the time. Um, and they'd done some of my favorite games like GoldenEye and stuff like that. I interviewed at Rare and I got offered a job there, which is like my ultimate dream, right? I'd always wanted to work at Rare. And then weirdly, I, I had this interview at Criterion and I was like, oh, I also want to interview, like I'd already arranged it. And I was like, well, I'm going to take the job at Rare, but right. I'll go and see them anyway. And they were like a little known studio at the time. They'd done like Trick Style and Airblade and games of pre-burnout right exactly so they uh i went down and they were tiny and they had like this residential house that all the walls had been knocked down from and there was like 10 people working on burnout one right um and rare who i'd been to was what most they were a, they were quite a big studio at the time yeah. and they were what most studios look like now which was like hundreds of people all lined up in rows kind of thing mm-hmm. And I'd seen that, and I was like, this isn't what I'd expected video games to be like, right. but I guess this is what it's like. And then I went to Criterion, and they were like small and scrappy, and I, just, I loved it. I was like, this is what I expected video games to be like, like as in, you know, just a bunch of people in their bedroom pretty much, <laughs> you know. Um, so I took, I, I took a job there. Um, and so they had... Uh, it was the cusp of like burnout one, burnout two kind of thing. Um, I started there as like a junior programmer, um, but they were so small and they got big so quickly that I was quite lucky that I kind of got to move up. Yeah, right on the ground floor. Yeah, so like I joined and there was like maybe 20 people in Criterion Games. Um, And then when I left, it was about four or five years later, um, and there was like 350, wow. 400 people there, something like that. So that's like, you know, there are people, basically from when I joined onwards, there were people just joining all the time, and it was just getting bigger and bigger. Um, and so I was lucky enough on Burnout 3, which is like one of my favorite games to have worked on, um, to have just been there early enough to do, to kind of have a, a reasonable size role on it and to work on like so gameplay and graphics and a whole bunch of different stuff. Did you guys know with Burnout, because Burnout 3, I mean 2 was successful and mm-hmm. that's 2 in my opinion, and at least in my memory, is where yeah. it sort of found itself. Yeah. But 3 was yeah. was the catapult I think for that, that series and that's where everybody really fell in love with it. Yeah. Uh, did you guys know that you had something pretty special with that or was it not till it came out and everybody <coughs> just found it and, and were you surprised? Yeah, it's, it's weird, right? So one big thing was that was the first one that was published by EA. Right. So I think that's why people knew about it more. Yeah, so Acclaim that, published the other two. As that's I right, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's a massive difference. Um, so we knew that that was like a big deal, like this is going to be a big game potentially, yeah. right? And it had the biggest team on it. It was like 30 people <laughs> was on Burnout, right? Um, so we... Uh, like video games are strange and people don't really realize it from the outside and when you work on it you sort of realize it that games don't find themselves normally not for the longest time not until 
normally the, the last couple of months of development. And that was sort of how I remember Burnout 3 being. So the idea came first, right? The yeah. idea was it's going to be called Burnout Takedown and it's going to be a racing game, but it's also going to be almost like a fighting game. Yeah. Cars are going to knock into each other. And what's really strange, imagine that you have that idea that like, uh, like Alex, who was the creative director there, was like, pitches this idea to the team, this is what it's going to be. EA get behind it. Everyone's on board with the idea. And we haven't, like, we haven't decided that that will definitely work. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, so, and actually the idea of racing and smashing up against another car, it seems very obvious now that you've seen it. Right. But at the time, it sort of doesn't make any sense. You're butting into well, cars no, and that they're was flying. Like, that was sort of off limits. In, yeah. like, racing games didn't do that. Like, yeah. oh, you don't... You don't crash on purpose yeah. <laughs> you don't. and it was like it didn't make any sense as well like because what you don't realize is that if you just do it naively cars just race around a track and actually they're always quite far apart you know the chances of you being right beside another car having the ability to take them out yeah. and even if you do seeing that that happens like that's a, a weird thing that w- wouldn't necessarily work um i think my my recollection, and I don't know, this is probably totally wrong, and uh, like people from Criterion will be texting me, friends from back there, like, this wasn't how it happened. My recollection was like that it wasn't quite fitting together, and we had like a magazine, like official PlayStation in, um, and I think a couple of us came in on the weekend to try and actually make the takedowns work, kind of thing, um, and that was when it formed into like. Uh, I think there's about three of us, and it was like an AI car is going to drive an AI driver is going to drive your car for a little bit after you do a takedown. I don't know if you realize that that's what happens, huh. right? Because you can't steer anymore. Well, normally, what would happen is you would crash into something, and then the camera would go and look at it. And right. when it went to look at it, you would just like crash into the <laughs> wall, right? Because you're driving. So actually, what happens is the AI takes control of your car. So that was one of our things. The camera um, was pulling back and looking at this other car, right? But by the time it had come back, uh, you were, like, way down the track. And you'd lost all sense of context. So we slowed down time, which made a big difference. Um, And we also pulled the camera back whilst keeping the car on screen. So actually, the camera comes back rather than looking kind of thing. So it comes all the way back, and it stays... So basically, the camera stays, and I'm going into way too much detail, but but it was like, uh, so I remember us coming in (laughs) over a weekend, and then like we weren't in the room, but like Alex was showing the game to uh, like um, to official PlayStation, and then kind of came out and was like. It's good, guys. <laughs> like, so that was you the know. moment where it, yeah, was, uh, yeah, they, yeah. it all sort of came together. Um, and like, but, but what's even stranger about that is then, so like I worked on Crash Mode on Burnout 3 and stuff like that. And I, I, have a we, new, I, I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we like, I'll, I'll give you an example that, um, of what games development is like. We were testing that game once we'd finished working on it, right? Um, and I'd been fixing bugs, yeah. and I was one of the last people still fixing bugs on it. 
And that's not a good thing. That means I just had the most bugs, right? Uh, so I was fixing bugs, and everyone else stops working on it and is just testing. You have a QA team as well who's testing, but there's nothing else for you to do. You can't do any more. Right, it's all locked, right? It's all locked, and so you, everyone's just playing. And the way I think we did it at Criterion, which is an insight into EA and video games and stuff like that, so you had a choice. You could come in during the day and do a 16-hour shift of testing, or you could come in overnight and do a 12-hour shift, right? Um, so I spent, I think, three weeks playing Crash Mode on Burnout 3, uh, like 12 hours, like every night, yeah. basically. Me and one other guy. And like it's 100 tracks uh, on Crash Mode, and we could do every one of them in about an hour or so something like that. you must be really good at Crash Mode. I can, Burnout 3 Crash Mode, I can guess... <laughs> Uh, like the maximum multiplier, just <laughs> without even looking, I could still picture every track. Um, but by the time you've done that, you can't see the game anymore. Like you can imagine what it's like. You've probably had to record stuff for video here or something like that, where you've had to do it over and over again. Yeah. But once you've done it like a hundred times, a thousand times, we had no idea that the game was good. In fact, we were like, this game is awful. Like, because <laughs> all you're seeing is all the problems. Right. And they're your problems. You're like, I can't fix them. You know what I mean? Because the game's locked now. And you're just like, oh, God, <laughs> this is terrible. And you can't enjoy it because obviously, like, I'm, I would be talking to the guy beside me and just, like, getting the maximum score and right. stuff like that. So what even is this? <laughs> no. So no, it was, it was a, I was actually on a real low after we finished the game. Interesting. I was like, it's one of the lowest times in development I, I normally get a bit down after every game I've worked on comes out because you just like it's kind of an anti-climax you know um, but then the reviews came in and yeah Burnout 3 did like incredibly well was it your favorite of the Burnouts uh, I'll be killed by the other guys at no, Criterion you but yeah kid. It, yeah yeah but definitely like 3 is, is uh, I think really nailed it you know yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's my two. Uh, one of the rumored... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm really hooked. Yeah. When I learned that you were at Criterion, which is I love that studio in the, the burnout era, just like one more uh, Criterion question. What of the rumored... You guys were connected to a Road Rash reboot for a little while. <laughs> what about that? That's, that's good homework. Um, yeah, I don't know what's been announced there, but I, well, or, or leaked or whatever. It never happened. Um, yeah, I think... There was a studio that was working on it that was using the Burnout engine, and there was this discussion of, like, you know, a Burnout Road Rash reboot kind of thing that, that married the two, which I think would have been awesome. How, that's, like, the best idea I've ever <laughs> heard. Yeah, the Road Rash was... Yeah, it was one of my favorite games. Uh, like, it's an awesome game. Like, just it's just got a great kind of arcade feel. Yeah, I would have, <laughs> I would have loved to work on a Road Rash game. So, all right, you... Uh... Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. You also, you said in your your little Hello Games profile on the site that uh, you loved all the, you love arcade racers. You know, right. between Burnout, you mentioned uh, Mario Kart and Excite. I love Excite Bike from yeah. my Nintendo childhood, too. Uh, Super Monkey Ball, which, so all of that very much explains that you would start your own studio and make a game like Joe Danger, right. okay. <laughs> which was an excellent game in its own yeah. right. But how does, where do, so how does that, how do we get to No Man's Sky from all yeah. those, from Joe Danger and all of these? Uh, arcade racers. I think um, I don't know what what you're like, right? Uh, but a lot of people that I meet in games have this same personality as me, where I there's games that I want to play, and then there's games that I feel I have to play. Like I feel I have to play every game that comes out, pretty much. Not not every game now because there are too many. <laughs> but like as a kid, you you felt like. You could just about keep on top of it. Yeah. And if people were talking about a game, you feel like you had to have played it at least enough to know about it. And then right. I'm that really annoying guy that you meet who's played everything or he's got all the consoles or whatever. And he, you, know, you go around his house and he brings you in and he's like trying to convince you that you have to get this game. Yeah. You know, he's like, sit down, this would be for you. And you know, I get like a whatever. When I get a new console even now, I will show my friends or whatever and when I get uh, like a new like the VR headsets and stuff mm-hmm. like that I'm like I have to bring people in I'm like, you gotta try this yeah. out you know um, and I, I'm more uh, yeah so like I uh, I think I've got a reasonably like eclectic taste in games or or uh, widespread taste in games at least yeah. like I love like uh, Mario Kart, right? Uh, Mario Kart on the SNES is the only Mario Kart. Um, <laughs> and uh, Mario Kart Battle Mode is like one of my all-time favorites. But then I would also love Elite. I would love Star Control. Sure. You know, I would love things that are just completely different. I think there's a lot of people... Uh, I think you find a lot of gamers who are really... They're like they're widespread in in what they'll play and what yeah. they'll do compared to people who are into say films or books or whatever you know. Normally, people will be like, "Oh, I like fantasy books or whatever," whereas you don't see people who are necessarily just I like fantasy games. So, uh, Joe Danger, which is the yeah. fir- first game when you start your own studio, yeah. Hello Games. It was a really good game. Uh, how do you feel about it now? Like year, sort of years later, with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm super proud of Jet Angel. Like, uh, I hope this doesn't sound weird or bad, given that we're surrounded by No Man's Sky stuff, but, like, I would be more proud of JD than I would be of No Man's Sky, kind of thing. Like, 
just because No Man's Sky is just like a concept right now, you know, it hasn't come out. But yeah. Joe Danger came out and like, you know, we created that, like four of us from nothing. Yeah. And it came out and then lots of people played it, you know. And I've seen their reaction and I've had people say it to me and stuff like that. And so I know, like, as a, as a programmer, there's not really that much more that I could do that would be uh, as impactful as that. Mm-hmm. You know, not that, that sounds really pretentious, but you know what I mean. It's like if, you, if a million people played Joe Danger, um, and whatever, if they only put an hour into it, you know, that's like, hey, that's pretty crazy, you know. Um, and Joe Danger was a really fun, happy game, so yeah. you always get people saying to you, like, oh, I had a really good time, or played it. We did this thing at, at the end of all the JDs. Uh, if you 100% it, it gives you, like, an email address, right? And you can mail it, and that's called, like, the 100% club, right? Nice. Um, and, like, if you ever want to, you know, if I ever want to feel good about myself, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you can dip into this email address. And it's all people, people will normally... Like, it, it says, like, oh, you're in 100% club, here's this email, mail us what you thought or whatever. Yeah. And you get this really cool stuff. So you get people who are, like, you know, uh, I've had all sorts, like, people who are in their 80s who've played Jet AJ, wow. people who are, you know, either in hospital or they're, uh, like, fighting abroad or uh, stuff like that that you really wouldn't expect yeah. kind of thing. Um, and you get a lot of, like board students and things like that Uh, but like you know people tell you really fun stuff about themselves and stuff Um, but that's a really you know that's uh, that's a real thing you know what I mean Um, and and it still happens people still play JD they still play on iPhone and stuff like that Um, so yeah I'm super proud of it at the time when it came out you don't feel that way. You're like, oh, God, it's kind of like anticlimactic or whatever. Now it's actually that I can kind of appreciate it, you know. So did you feel like you had to make that game so that you knew how to make your own game before you could do something like No Man's Sky? Yeah, I mean, it sounds... I don't like saying that because it sounds dismissive of, like, Joe Danger, but we did... It was definitely a stepping stone, yeah. and we said that... At the time, like, we said it to each other in Hello Games. We were like, we're going to do this. And then the aspiration that we would do something much bigger. Like, we, when we, um, when we like, left uh, our jobs, and there was four of us, and we were, I was sort of trying to convince the guys to leave their job. <laughs> Which, right now, as you know, uh, like, everyone goes and becomes an indie, right? Like, it's, we were doing it before it was cool. You know? <laughs> we're like the original hipster indies. No, we were doing it. Uh, we left and started a studio and started making a game kind of pre-Braid. It then came out just after that and yeah. Castle Crashers and stuff like that. But there wasn't really... XBLA was just not really a thing. You'd add Geometry Wars on it. Uh, PSN had Warhawk. There was no app store. This makes me sound really old. But like, no, it it's just, only it wasn't few, that long ago. It's not yeah. that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> right? uh, but yeah, and it's hard to remember. But so the idea of leaving when I left, uh, like 
people are like, what, what are you going to do? Where are you going to, you're going to make a game. Who's going to buy it? You're going to sell it on your own site? You know, that kind of thing. That was the attitude. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was trying to convince the guys to leave and that this is a good idea. Um, and I, like, I sent them a bunch of images, right? So uh, one of the sets of images was like loads of skyscrapers, right? And I was like, this is what we're making now, right? We're making these like massive games that are really functional yeah. and are kind of made to blueprints. Because at this stage, we were now on like Burnout 5 uh, and... Uh, yeah, Revenge and Black and... And I done Black and we were heading into like Black 2 and stuff like that. Um, and so it's like, this is what we're making now, right? Um, and the team size was getting really big, like you would have to build a big skyscraper or whatever. And then I sent them all these images, really pretentious of me, right? But I sent them all these images of like Swedish architecture and stuff like that, like cool houses, like a, you know, a house that was just set on a lake and a house yeah. on an island. The kind of thing that you would, if you saw, you would stop your car and you would look at it, you yeah. know, and be like, oh, I'd like to live there kind of thing. I was like, wouldn't you like to make something like this? This is what I want to make, something that's really personal that people can look at a screenshot of and really like right. and get excited about. Um, and one of the guys uh, said, cool, let's do that, right? And this makes him sound totally over the top, but he was like, let's do that, um, but only if we go on and make a skyscraper of our own, right? Like afterwards, yeah. right? And he was, that sounds really like over the top, but he was trying to be funny. Like it was an aspirational, it was stupid, obviously, because there was four of us. So it was one of these stupid things to say that's like, you know, yeah, we'll, you know, but we're going to make, like, we're going to make a big AAA game, right. right, you know, and it was like, that was funny. So we had, on our website, we had like games that, uh, for years, we had games that Hello Games make, and it was uh, Joe Danger, and then underneath it would say Project Skyscraper yeah. kind of thing. So that was that was what um, No Man's Sky then turned out to be. That was, we kept talking about it kind of thing. So yeah, it was always meant as a stepping stone, but we figured it would take right. years and years and years. Like we would we would get bigger and bigger or right. something like that, you know. But. Uh, it doesn't work that way. You end up, you end up <laughs> off. You started in secret for yeah. the rest of the team. Then, then it's you get the whole team involved, and then finally, the VGA Awards, December two thousand thirteen. Yeah, you bring a trailer, and you're right. You, you decide that's where you're announcing the game. Mm. Were you expecting the incredible reaction you got to that? Uh, no, <laughs> no, definitely not. What, what kind of person would? Um, no, we. Uh, we were super nervous about that. Um, I mean, we, uh, like, we were originally uh, talking to Jeff Keeley, who was putting together the VGAs. Yeah. And he had, he knew that we were working on something, but he had no idea what it was. And he kind of contacted us. Um, he'd actually happened to come to visit our studio and uh, the, he'd been at Media Molecule and we're near to Media Molecule so he just called in on his way past 
and nobody had been to our office kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And we'd done this really weird thing of boxing off one room and we'd covered it in sci-fi book covers. We'd like bought a load of sci-fi books and then cut off the covers and put them all on the wall, right? Um, and everyone else was still working on Joe Danger. And we'd gone into this little room to work on something in secret. Yeah. And we had like literally like boxed off the walls. No one could get in kind of thing. And we had our own little entrance and stuff. And Jeff just saw that and was like, uh, we were like, cover up your screens, you know, <laughs> you know. Um, and he was just like, what, what are you guys doing in here? And I think we were so, like, shifty and suspicious about it <laughs> that he was like, they must be doing something amazing or something, you know. Um, and every, all the visuals of what we were, you know, that were on the walls and stuff were so different to Joe Danger. Yeah. So he was like, I don't know what you guys are doing, but if you can do a good trailer, then, you know, we could have you on VGAs or whatever um, so we just went like oh my god we've got to bring together this trailer um, and we brought it together and sent it to him and uh, I then I sent it off and then actually started showing people I was like um, like friends and stuff sure. like that uh, and I was like I asked them kind of one question at the end, so it's just like a 90-second trailer, and I was like, right, I'll give you no context. I'm going to show you this thing. Um, what do you think? Should this be on the VGA? Is this game ready to announce or whatever? Yeah. And everyone apart from one person said no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we actually, I like contacted Jeff, and I was like, can we, can we pull the trailer kind of thing? Um, uh, so... At that stage, he had kind of already fought to get us a place there in a slot, and he was like, I, I think it's all right. You guys should show it, and I think it'll, you know. Um, and, yeah, like, we... I remember the discussion was that uh, we just... We felt that we didn't even know what we were... Like, what kind of reaction we were going to get. Yeah. So... At the start of the trailer, it was like, it used to say, like, from the people who brought you Joe Danger or whatever. But then that just seemed so weird with the game that it was. So we were just like, just take it off. Like, yeah. let's not associate Hello Games with this thing. Like, we don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, like, I, I thought that I was heading into some sort of, like, not disaster, but like, you know, this this may not go well. There's part of you that's like, well, maybe everyone's wrong and it'll go, you know, because yeah, you're looking at it and you're kind of proud of what you're of doing course. and you're like, this is cool. Yeah, but we had no idea. We certainly weren't thinking this is going to be huge or anything like that. So does, does overnight then, does the, are you reinvigorated? Are you terrified because yeah. everybody likes it? What's, what's the internal reaction at Hello? We... Uh, I had the closest to what I would call like a Mighty Ducks moment. You know what I mean, <laughs> right? So I, uh, because we thought... Well, uh, like quack. Yeah. Like, rallying the team kind of thing. <laughs> like, you know... Uh, Pounding the sticks. You know, how, you know how like in films they end and everyone's happy. You know, like yeah. I think that's how they, they all like cheer and then it freeze frames and <laughs> the music comes up, right? Um, like that kind of the underdog and they've won, you know, that right. kind of thing, right? So uh, the, uh, like 
I'd never been on camera and stuff like that, really, like not in that way. And we did the VGAs. I went on um, and that's just a blur. I don't even know what I said, but I came on after the trailer, talked to Jeff mm-hmm. and then walked out. Um, and the way it's filmed, there's these like, doors you walk through and then you come back out. And there's, when you come back out, there's all these people that I would know, like Tim Schafer and stuff yeah. like that, you know. Um, and there was like all these kind of famous gaming people. And they've all been watching it on the screen and it's gone down well kind of thing. So I like walked out and there was the four of us that worked on No Man's Sky up until that point. Right. The other three were there. Um, and so I walked out and there's like, you know, so it's this stupid movie moment where like Tim Schafer's there who I've, like, admired, you know, and it's like, good job, you know, and it's like you're walking down and everyone's like, yeah, that looked cool and stuff like that, you know. And, uh, and then I go down to the guys and they're like, we're trending on Twitter, you know, and stuff like that. So you have this, that was awesome. Like, that was just the best moment, you know what I mean? And we're all, like, hugging and stuff like that. Because we, I mean, we thought we were heading for, like, all the worst things are going on in your mind. Yeah, basically. the other three, they've followed you into the, yeah. into the <laughs> desert, basically, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, so, uh, and then there's all the people who are back home watching sure. it, because it's, like, three in the morning, and people have stayed up, and they're all, like, texting you and stuff. And my phone was just going crazy. Um, yeah, so it, it was cool. It was awesome. Obviously, that's, like, you're like, let's make this. I mean, we, we, it was just a blur. We got on a plane heading back. And like the great thing when there's four of you is you just fit in a row, you know? And I remember uh, Grant, who's down the other end, you know? And uh, the, he was, he turned to us and he was like, like, he's like, Sean's just laid the golden egg. We've all just got to carry the golden egg now, you know? <laughs> We gotta make this thing, you know. But we were so excited heading back from that. Yeah, it was amazing. The the team, the rest of the team, didn't really know what we were doing, you know. So that was a pretty crazy thing for them. They had been working on Joe Danger, um, and enjoying it and stuff. But it's obviously a big leap, you know. So you come back from the highest of highs, and mm. not too long after, yeah. your office is decimated in in a flood. Yeah. That, uh, did you think the game was done, or were you, did you have a, were, was there a panic, or were you just instantly like, okay, we've got backups, it's fine? What? Yeah, it was, it was a couple of weeks later, and it was Christmas Eve, and we were all off from work. Um, yeah, and the whole office flooded, which is a crappy thing, obviously. I think, I think if we hadn't announced the game... Um, so, like, because I nearly backed out of it, right. obviously. <clears throat> I think if we had backed out of it and then had been flooded, uh, I'm, it's hard to know. I think we might have, like, just canned No Man's Sky because wow. I think we would have been, we would have been feeling really unsure of it. You know, to, when we were trying to back out of it, we were just like, what, what have we been doing? You know? <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's an awkward thing because we... We didn't lose, like, we obviously had some backups and stuff like that, but you lose a lot of work. And we couldn't really talk about that because generally we just announced people would have been angry and stuff like that. You know, they'd be like, people don't understand. Obviously, you're a small team. And, um, like, we, 
we came back into the studio like Christmas Day. Uh, the whole team just kind of reassembled. Um, and we'd had this... Uh, this sounds really bad. I'm going to say the flood was the, a really good thing that happened to us, right? So we'd had this thing where we'd had a team of ten and there was four people who'd gone off in a room and done this thing and then six people who'd kind of watched um, and not been as involved. And some of them would have felt the same way we did, which is they would have seen the No Man's Sky trailer just before it went out at the VGAs and thought, I'm not sure how this is going to go down kind of thing. Um, and then when we came back, we were like, right, everyone needs to work on this. We need to ramp up the team. Yeah. You know, we all want to be working on this. But it's a weird thing for them. They're like, you know, you... Because they haven't been involved. Yeah, and we're... It's we're, just like, hey, yeah. work on this thing yeah, that yeah, I've the, done yeah. without you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're, like, we're all good friends, and there wasn't any problem, but it it was slightly odd feeling, right? They weren't creatively invested uh, yeah. in it at that point, is but, that fair to say? I think the two teams had diverged a little bit. We had had a bunch of experiences that they hadn't, and they had had a bunch of experiences that we hadn't. And so you can't, anyway, it's just, and it needed like a bonding thing. And that's what happened, right? Like all of us just kind of reassembled to like, just throw out everything in the office, all our equipment and build all new PCs and all of this kind of thing. And we ended up in like this tiny little room with 10 of us crammed in there on like makeshift desks and stuff like that. It looked like the like workshop at Dell or something like that. There was just computer parts everywhere. <laughs> just trying to like, you know, dry stuff out or salvage stuff or build new stuff. Um, and it was really bonding. And I remember saying to the team, like, you know, like, yes, it's crappy and stuff like that, but imagine, <laughs> like, it's just, I'm really bad for this kind of thing. But I was like, imagine what it's going to be like when we walk out on stage at E3 and, like, we, you know, like we we show the game like in its fullest and we can kind of really properly reveal it and that was a stupid thing to say because obviously we'd lost a bunch of work yeah but it was a kind of a like you know and rally, we had we had no rally, reason right. to think that we would be at E3 and stuff like that but it was like imagine that like work backwards from that that'll be a cool moment because obviously and so we went silent that whole, whole time between there and E3 um which is kind of hard to remember back to, but we just said nothing kind of thing because we, the truth was, hey, we've got loads of work to do now. <laughs> um, yeah, so we just went quiet and we kind of ramped up the team. More and more people joined from that other group of six um, and started building something for E3. So when I saw you at last year's E3, fast, I guess fast, fast forwarding yeah. a couple of E3s, you had told me that you met that same day. You, we met at night to, yeah. to see the game. That day, you had seen, you'd been over to, to meet with Elon Musk. <laughs> uh, and then you took a meeting, I guess, Steven, you showed Steven Spielberg the game. Right. So did you request those meetings? Did they want to speak with you? What, what, what's the story <laughs> with those? Because that's, that's a heck of a day for anyone. To, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, well, uh, Elon and now Spielberg... <laughs> And I think my best, my favorite part of that was like Kanye was at E3 that year, 
And we got a message that he, he had said he wanted to see the game kind of thing. And we, we weren't, because um, we're uh, like, we're self-funded and stuff like that. So we weren't actually on the show floor at E3. Right. Um, so uh, we were like, we're not on the show floor. And he's like on the show floor or whatever, <laughs> walking around. And we're like, and we've got Elon Musk to meet and Steven Spielberg. So... You know, we can't take that Kanye meeting kind of thing, which is one of those, one of my favorite things, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, that was a weird day. That will go down as like one of, I have, this game, I don't know, it has put me in one weird situation after another. Every time I think things have been their most surreal, then something else happens. But that day we got contact from... Uh, like Elon Musk's secretary or something like that and she was like oh like it's such a weird male yeah. you know <laughs> Elon Musk would like to meet with you and he's, he's in LA gamer. yeah and he made uh, like his uh, he started out programming games you know uh, he made a game I think it's called Blaster um, and that was kind of like his first the first money he made basically and he's a programmer. Um, so what do you meet with? What do you talk to Elon Musk about? If he, he his office reaches out, yeah. So we got a tour of SpaceX, um, which, like, uh, that's a, that would be a big deal for me. Like, uh, I mean, anyone would want that. But it was so cool um, and amazing. Like, it, it's an amazing place. Like what they're doing there. Um, and so we got a tour, and then uh, we just sat and chatted to him. And we were, we had the same reaction that you have, which is like, what are we going to talk to him about? Um, and like, I would be a big fan of his and stuff. Um, and we talked about loads of stuff. We just talked about normal things. I mean, obviously, he's a normal person and stuff. Um, he was... We talked about laptops, you know, and stuff like that. He's buying a laptop. I was giving him recommendations. Um, he's uh, he's an incredibly nice guy and obviously super, super smart, you know. Um, and we were talking about, like, AI, and at the time it hadn't been announced, but he was talking about how he was working on and telling us a lot about uh, how he's working on the self-driving car right. stuff and Autopilot. is heading that up and some of the problems and just loads of things and um, it just like he's fascinating I mean he uh, he has kind of a um, like a way of talking that you're not like he's obviously thinking as much as he's talking if that makes sense it does yeah right? Um, and so we would we would keep waiting for him to just like ask us to leave, and we ended up staying there. Like there was, he had other meetings, and they were like queuing up, waiting for him. And people kept coming in and saying like, "Your next meeting's here," and stuff like that. Um, but we, yeah, we just stayed and chatted. It was then, really, really good to chat to him. Wow! And then Spielberg. Yeah, so we went straight from that back to. <laughs> E3, uh, back in the centre of LA, and um, we'd already met with some of uh, Steven Spielberg's, like, production designers and stuff like that. Uh, they're working on film, 
um, and they wanted to know. Well, I guess they're working on Ready Player One, yeah. right? And I guess there's some crossover there with something like No Man's Sky. So they were just asking us a bunch of questions and wanted to see it. And you know, because Ready Player One is about like a a, a gaming world that you go and inhabit and has like an infinite number of planets and right. things like that. So there's some, like weird <laughs> crossover. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we were uh, we were just talking to them about how it works, you know, how our game works and how games work and stuff like that. Um, like I think he's quite into games and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, he's developed. Uh, uh, was it uh, Boomblock? Yeah, right? that's so right. Like, yeah, yeah, and worked at EA for a while. Um, yeah, so just super interesting to show him the game. So, No Man's Sky. You've talked a lot about wanting No Man's Sky to feel like you're walking into the uh, a science fiction. You right. talk. You, you you just bl- you blanketed your whole. You you cut out space uh, or sci-fi novel, <laughs> yeah. and you've talked about. Uh, so you would literally walk into those novels, and you've said that you want the game to feel like that as well. So what are some of your favorite novels, sci-fi novels? Um, the one, if anyone ever asked me, like, oh, I'm, uh, someone asked me recently, like, oh, I'm kind of, I feel like I've never read much sci-fi. Where should I start? Yeah. Whatever. Um, and I think the one that I always recommend is not a it's not actually a good place to start. It's like it's just that it's my favorite book. So, uh, Dune um, is is like my you know it's like two thousand pages long, and I just read it in like two days or something like that. I just consumed that book, um, but it's it's just a brilliant book. I've never anyone who makes it past the first hundred pages always just gets totally like consumed by it I think it's just it's it's kind of it's complex and things like that but it it brings I'm not doing a very good job explaining this but like it is all the things that sci-fi should be I think right like in terms of um I think sci-fi for me good sci-fi will um put forward the idea of something science related that's that's different. So imagine a world where technology can do this, right? So whether it's like, uh, you know, uh, robots are sentient, or um, you know, you can see the future, or you can predict a crime, or you can, you know, and then tries to build that out with knowing what we know about people and stuff yeah. like that. Let's build that world out fully and explore it, right? Um, and imagine what that would be like. And then as you read it, to me, it tells you it's a way of exploring a certain part of like life or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, so you're, that's good sci-fi to me. Um, and Dune is, is just such a, it puts forward the idea that there's spice and it's incredibly valuable and, and kind of, explores this whole world of like builds out this universe of pirates and uh, the sandworms and you know it just kind of it just seems very complete basically so speaking of stepping into uh, science fiction worlds uh, virtual reality right everyone that's been interviewing you has been trying to get a straight answer out of you regarding 
Because, of course, Sony has now confirmed sort of all the details for PlayStation VR. It's out in October. Uh, base package, 400 bucks, mm-hmm. 500 for the you know with the, the other accessories. So No Man's Sky would, on paper, be an incredible fit uh, for, for a VR situation. What do you got? <laughs> you wanna, can you announce anything? What, what is the status of PlayStation VR? Or were you being super cagey and that it's, well, on PC, someone's just going to hack the PC version right. for Oculus in like two days. So <laughs> where do we stand with VR support of any sort with No Man's Sky? Uh... So I think, what can I say? I think, I'll answer it this way, I guess, right? VR, like, I've tried out all the headsets and everything, right? Um, And as a coder and somebody who's like a tinkerer, you know, obviously I would try stuff out, right? Sure. Um, And I think, I think VR in general is incredibly exciting. Like, I am a, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, I would say I'm a believer. I, I, I have this, like, optimism about it. I really hope everyone gets it right, right? I feel like it doesn't have, like, a killer app, and I hope, you know, uh, no one gets offended by that. But, like, that thing that you... I haven't made sense of am I going to play it for three hours straight or five right. hours straight or whatever. I have definitely decided, you know, that I'm going to own a VR headset and that I'm going to show all my friends because I'm yeah. that kind of guy and I'm going to try and convince them to buy one, you know. Um, and I hope that it kind of finds that that killer app by which I mean that that everyone ends up needing one, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Um that it doesn't become novelty or gimmicky because I think it's such an amazing opportunity kind of thing. Um, I think it would <laughs> like I think it would be a really good fit for No Man's Sky, you know. Um, I think like the idea of I'm actually a uh, thing I think about a lot is that, and I don't think people have fully grasp this is like if you were to put on a headset often people will say well you can't wear one for five hours or it strains my eyes or whatever I think there's this huge opportunity for playing a game normally um, but then also being able to have those really intense moments within a game you know to have a mixture of both yeah right Um, so like uh you know, if it was No Man's Sky, if such a thing existed, being able to find a planet that you really loved and then be able to see it in 3D, I think something like that would be incredibly cool. All right, so so maybe you'll do it yourself, but if not, you might you'll you would be encouraged to see the community do it. Is that? <laughs> uh, I don't know what I could say to that. Um, I yeah, all I can say is like obviously. We're a super small team. I think everyone would want us just focused on the game and getting it out and getting it as good as possible kind of thing. And right. I think VR is, is, a, is definitely a cool thing. I, I tried, folks. I tried <laughs> to get it out of it. Uh, Sean Murray, the programmer and uh, just mathematic mastermind, 
behind No Man's Sky. The game is No Man's Sky. It's out in June for PlayStation 4 and PC. Maybe one day PlayStation VR or some other PC <laughs> VR device. Sean Murray, thank you so much. This was Thanks an absolute lot. treat for me. Uh, thank you for Burnout 3. Thank you in advance <laughs> for No Man's Sky. Uh, and for much more with the best and brightest and most wonderful people in the video game industry, keep it tuned every month to IGN Unfiltered on IGN YouTube or our IGN apps on your favorite devices. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.